good to see everybody here at 11 o'clock worship today. Take your copy of God's Word if you have one with you, and I hope you do. Psalm 111 is where we are this morning. A little respite on Thanksgiving weekend from our Multiply series and Acts, which we have two more messages remaining, and we'll cover those the next two successive Sundays and finish that series out. For this morning, we look at one of the most important and yet often neglected psalms as we continue to spend our weekend focusing on all for which we are grateful uh, and thankful. Appreciate everybody uh, being here the last uh, week or two and all of our family uh, involved. I now have a married daughter, brothers and sisters, today. Very excited about that. Uh, and we've waxed uh, nostalgically. Somebody's asking me, well, how, how was that? I mean, I can't imagine performing the wedding of... Uh, your only daughter. Well, I couldn't imagine it either. Uh, and the only way I know how to describe it is with the very theological word weird. It was just weird. Very surreal. Um, it's just really hard to put into words. Probably the closest thing to it uh, is kind of being a dad, being there when your child is born. Uh, it felt a lot like that, if that makes any sense whatsoever. You have all of these emotions running the gamut. Your whole life kind of flashes in front of your eyes, and uh, you're amazed at the wonder and the power and the majesty of God and the goodness of God. So our hearts were full, and we appreciate all of you who uh, were there and all the kind words and the kind expressions. It was just a wonderful, wonderful uh, time. We're glad to be back. We took a few days just to kind of go out and get lost and not do anything for a few days. We were bone tired, as you could imagine, but very thankful, and I hope your Thanksgiving holiday uh, was one of the best ever. Um, As we were going through a lot of the times of nostalgia associated with marrying a daughter off, um, we relived a number of life events, and one of the things that I remembered was when Whitney was um, a really small kid, And she was participating in um, a children's uh, performance at church on a Sunday night. And uh, they were all on the stage. And, of course, they were singing the songs and going through the motions and everything. And right in the middle of it, um, there was a pause for a time of prayer in which the choral director had one of the little girls voice a prayer. Uh, And it was an interesting deal because none of us kind of saw that coming and uh, there was this pause, and a hush fell over the room, and uh, it was one of those moments where all of the parents were praying with one eye closed and one eye opened, if you know what I mean, because everybody was wondering what's going to go on on stage. And the little girl started praying, and she just started listing things to God for which she was very thankful. She just said things like, thank you, God, for mommy. And thank you for daddy, and thank you for my friends, and thank you for my church. And she was just kind of running down the litany there. And she even got to a point where she said, and God, thank you for the food. We didn't have any food there that night, but that's just kind of the way she prayed, you know. She thanked God for food, which was a great thing. And then she paused, and nothing came out. So everybody was afraid to move. Because we didn't know if she was finished or if she wasn't finished. And then she opened up her mouth. And the last thing she said, I've never forgotten. You know what she said? And God, 
Well, thank you, God, for God. And as I listened, I mean, out of the mouths of babes, I don't know that in my life I have ever said, thank God for God. But it's so obvious. How in the world could we possibly miss it? The greatest of all blessings is the creator God of the universe. And more to the point, the greatest of all blessings is the reality that you and I can have a relationship with the creator God of the universe. Theologians speak of God being both transcendent and eminent at the same time. When we talk about God being transcendent, we're talking about the bigness of God, the fact that God is bigger and beyond all that is. He is otherworldly and other humanly and totally and completely separate from all we are and all we can aspire to be. But the God who is transcendent is also a God who's eminent. And that speaks to the smallness of God. The eminence of God as evidenced in the coming to earth of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. God became one of us. He tabernacled among us. He made his dwelling among us so that he could, by faith, live within us. So you have a big God who makes himself small to live inside of every single one of us who know him by faith. That we might know him and be known by him. And so on this Thanksgiving weekend, as we live in the wake of a very busy summer where there's been natural disasters, where people along the coast have lost property, lost homes, lost loved ones, we live in an epoch of mass shootings, we've been through a lot of bad news, and the world is just getting crazier. And in the midst of all of that, it's so very important for Thanksgiving to roll along like it does so that we can be focused on all the goodness of God, the wonderful blessings of God, and of all the blessings that we've counted this Thanksgiving weekend. I can't think of anything more powerful, anything for which I'm more thankful than God himself. And so this morning, we together simply focus our time in the Word in order to be able to say together, thank God for God who is indeed not only the source of our blessings, but who is personally the greatest blessing of all. He walks with me, as the song says, and he talks with me, and he tells me that I am his own, and the voice uh, or, or the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. This is basically what's going on in the heart of the psalmist as he takes a moment to pen Psalm 111, an often overlooked psalm. It's gonna be on the screen this morning and we're gonna read it together out loud. And so as we do that, let's stand in honor of the reading of God's word and let's read these uh, 10 verses out loud together if we can. Ready to read, say amen. Together then. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. 
He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Father, thank you that we can gather in the congregation of the assembly in the presence of the upright before a holy God this morning and worship and adore you and remember the power and the faithfulness and the graciousness of all of your wonderful works to us, to those who are called by your name and to those who have trusted in Jesus Christ for everlasting life. Give us a good few moments now in your word. May your spirit teach us what we need to know that we might live in a way that changes our world for your glory alone. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you, church family. Please be seated. This is a psalm in which the writer wants us to understand the greatness of God. That should have been the thing that just jumped off the page. There's more in this psalm than we could ever hope to cover in one setting together this morning. But it it does us well, I think, to focus in on the main thing here, which is this psalmist presenting to us a faithful, powerful God whom we are to remember and to whom we owe our gratitude as well as our allegiance because he is a God who is powerful, a God who's done powerful things, and a God who brings about powerful blessings to the lives of those who trust and follow him. Notice again in verse number two, great are the works of the Lord. And then later he says, full of splendor and majesty is his work. He has shown his people the power of his works. The works of his hands are faithful and just. That's kind of at the heart of what he's getting at. All the wonderful things that God has done. And your Thanksgiving celebration, did you focus on the awesomeness and the power and the blessing of God in big kinds of ways in your life? Or was it just about eating and drinking and turkey, and dressing, and football, and old classic movies, or whatever it is that you do as you gather together. Man, I'm telling you, God is an overwhelmingly powerful God who gives us, the Bible says, all good things to enjoy. And this is what we're to remember more than anything else, particularly at a time when we focus our gratitude on the blessings of this life. I remember several years ago watching a television news broadcast sign off, one of the three major networks, one of those important anchor men. And it was the eve before Thanksgiving. And he was wishing everybody a happy Thanksgiving. And he was encouraging people to take time to reflect 
and to give, here's what he said, and to give thanks for all our good fortune. That's what he said. Now, there's only one problem with that. I don't believe in fortune. I don't believe the things that I enjoy in life have come into my life by happenstance. I don't, I don't believe that I'm here by happenstance. I believe that I'm here because God knew me before I was born and because God has chosen to create me in his image. And I believe that I have the relationships that I have because of an all-powerful God who brings people into my life in sovereign kinds of ways. And I believe that every job I've ever had, I've had because God put me in connection with the right people in the right way in the right time. And God has graciously provided to me because of his works in my life. I don't believe in fortune and I don't believe in fate. I believe in a sovereign God who brings about good things in my life in order that he may receive the glory for anything that's positive or good or wholesome or holy that happens in and through my life. And that's why the most important thing we can do in this or any other Thanksgiving is to learn to say what this guy's basically saying without saying it this way, and that is namely, thank God for God, without whom we would have nothing, without whom we would be nothing. And it's important to do that because most of the time when we get to a Thanksgiving season, what we do, we'll acknowledge God, but we'll focus not on the person of God, not on the character of God, but typically on the hand of God. We're thankful for what God can give more than for who God is and for what God has done. And so we thank God for the turkey, and we thank God for the house, and we thank God for the people who are gathered there, and we thank God for the table around which we're gathered. And you should do those things because God is the God who provided all of those things. I was in a family gathering many years ago when the woman wanted to pray in whose house I had gathered, and she was so excited because they needed a new automobile for the longest time, and in her prayer, she thanked God for providing that car for them that was a real need in life. And no sooner had she finished, we're all seated around the table, no sooner had she finished saying that than the, 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 her husband opened up his eyes and threw a wet blanket over the entire dinner table when he said out loud for everybody to hear, I want to make it known, God didn't provide that car, my overtime provided that car. And I wanted to look over at my wife and say, we better get out of here because this house getting ready to blow up. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure that God provided. And I wanted to say, well, who provided you the help to get up and work all that overtime? And who provided the job? And who provided the other car for you to get to that? You know what I'm saying, people? And so, yes, we need to thank God for what his hand provides. That's a very real thing. But here's what you got to remember. There's going to be times in life where those things may be in a season of abundance. In the next season, they won't be there at all. The Lord giveth and the Lord can taketh away. And that's why the most important thing is to learn in your relationship with God to say, Blessed be the name of the Lord in times of plenty or in times of want. I presided over that wedding couple of Saturdays ago, and part of that vow is 
I promise to help and support you, to love and to pray for you in wealth and in poverty, in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad times, because it rains on the just and on the unjust. And this is why it's so important, more than thanking God for what his hand provides, to learn to thank God for God himself, because there's going to be times your faith will be tested, and you'll have to learn to say, thank you, God, in the dry seasons. You'll have to learn to say, thank you, God, as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And it's so important that you learn to trust God for who he is more than for what God provides. In fact, that's kind of what the psalmist gets at. He doesn't focus so much on what God provides as he does how God provides, who God is, and then how God provides and how God meets the needs of his life. And that's so important because what God does really reveals who God is. His actions reveal his attributes, and his conduct always reveals his character. And so we ought to be just as thankful for how God gives as for what God gives, and that's what he gets at in this psalm. How does God give? The three concepts I want you to write down. First is God gives graciously. One of my favorite biblical words of all, and I know it's yours too, is the word grace. Unmerited, undeserved favor that comes to people in spite of the reality that they don't deserve it. In fact, they deserve the opposite. You and I are sinners. We have spat in the face of a holy God. What we deserve, and the Bible's crystal clear about this from start to finish, is judgment. We deserve death. And the fact that God strives with us, the fact that God provides for us the gift of life when we deserve to die, much the same way with Adam and Eve. They deserved to die, but God provided them covering. Yeah, they were separated from God because of their sin, but he was gracious. He slaughtered an animal and made them appropriate covering that they might be protected in the cold, cruel world. That's grace. And grace is the way God continues to deal with us and to give with us. Verse 4 says it here, the Lord is gracious and merciful. The psalmist understood that, that in the midst of all of the difficulties of life, in the midst of the great challenges, in the midst of the reality that he often walked through the valley of the shadow of death, that God was always with him. And God was gracious in the good times and gracious in the bad times. We live in a day and age, and you all know this, where everybody <clears throat> just feels like they're owed something by everybody else. Everybody owes me something. People are all about what they can get out of life or what they can get out of the government or what they can get out of their leaders or what they can get out of the church or what they can get out of this or get out of that. But can I say this morning, the world doesn't owe you anything. And here's more to the point. God doesn't owe you anything. Again, if God owes you something, it's judgment. That's what holiness demands. Judge them out of existence. And yet he doesn't do that. And that's a testimony to 
the grace of God. God does not respond to us based on what we deserve. And we ought to be very thankful for that. He responds to us completely out of grace. You see that all throughout the Bible. The children of Israel were a grumbling, needy lot. And in their time of hunger, rather than saying, I've had it with you grumbling bumblers, the Bible says he provided them a daily portion of manna. He later would provide them quail. We'll talk more about that in a minute to satisfy their hunger. When they were thirsty, he gave them water from a rock to quench their thirst. And these were not actions that those people deserved, quite the contrary. Every time those actions came in the face of Israel grumbling and murmuring against Moses and against Aaron, ultimately they were grumbling against God. You brought us out here to starve to death. We were better off in Egypt. We remember the leeks and the garlic and the onion and the lettuce. It's funny they were remembering all those indigestible things out there in the middle of a desert for crying out loud. And yet they thought they had it better in Egypt than they had out there walking in the presence of God. And this was a God, mind you, that had parted the Red Sea so they could get across on dry land. How soon we forget the goodness of God. And so these weren't gifts because Israel were model citizens. They were gracious, undeserved gifts from a God who just determined to love them. And that's what grace is. It's God's providing love in action. And that's how he still provides for us today. Graciously, God is motivated by love and motivated by compassion. And that's why you need to understand, again, this is a principle of stewardship. How much do you own in life? You own nothing. Everything that you have, you have and I have because of the gracious, open-handedness of God who freely provides to us in a way that's beyond what we deserve. You may not always get everything you want in life. In fact, probably will not get everything you want in life. But because of God's grace, let me just say this morning, we ought to be thankful that we don't get what we deserve in this life. Amen. And for that reason, we say, thank God for God who gives graciously. Second, God gives powerfully, not meagerly. God is a God who enjoys giving good gifts to his children, and he does. I mean, honest to Pete, we look around the room today, all of us take an inventory. I'm telling you, we are a group of wealthy, fat cats gathered in the house of God at the corner of Nine Mile and Guidey. You say, well, I'm not a fat cat. Well, you are when you compare yourself to the rest of the world. You know, you're not, the comparison is not to the Bell Mead section of Nashville, Tennessee. The comparison should be worldwide. Man, I'm telling you, when we do that, we realize how incredibly generous God has been with every single one of us. Verse 6, he has shown his people the power of his works. Aren't you thankful this morning that we don't serve and worship a meager, stingy, tight-fisted Ebenezer Scrooge of a Lord, but a God who loves to bless his children, and he loves to do it in ways that shine a light on himself, in a way that makes him look good and that glorifies the power of his great name. God provides 
powerfully. And that was true for Israel. The person that's writing this psalm is someone who is remembering the powerful works of God among his people. And there were many of them. I mean, you know, the the miracles of God in the desert were many. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, parting of the Red Sea, destruction of the army of Egypt, the greatest, most prolific warrior tribe on the planet at the time. And Israel didn't have to lift a finger. God just did all of that. He provided for them. I talked about manna uh, a few minutes ago. And the amazing thing about manna is the miracle that it was, that wafer-like substance pearlescent in color that just appeared every morning out with the dew on the ground. And God said, it's going to be there. It's enough to feed all two million of you. And listen, those were Baptist wanderers, so they were hungry people. And he said, there's going to be plenty. Don't store it up. Because by storing it up, you'll be demonstrating a greater reliance on yourself than you have trust in me to provide for you your daily bread, which is the way Jesus taught us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread, and that's what manna was. It was daily bread. Don't store it up, because if you store it up, you'll go in there the next day to get it, and it'll be full of worms, and it will smell like Limburger cheese 40 days old. So don't do it. Just trust me every day. They went out there, sure enough, it was there every single day. And they had more than enough to eat. And it provided the basic nutrition in life, as bread will do. It's the miracle food. And yet the problem was, Israel began to grumble. It's hard to imagine that they began to grumble at that. At the provi- they indicted the mighty, providing hand of a loving, gracious God who worked to provide for them through a daily miracle of sustenance. You know why? No variety. So they began to grumble against the leadership, which was a grumbling against God. We are sick to death of manna. We don't know any more creative ways to, listen, we have barbecued it, we have fricasseed it, we've deep fat fried it, we have boiled it, we've served it on sandwiches, we don't know what else to do with it. All we know is we need something else. Where's the beef? Or better yet, where's the quail? And God says, okay, you want meat? All right. I'm going to give it to you. And the great east wind came. You remember that story? I believe it's Numbers chapter 11. And Moses, Moses was so fed up by all of that, he was ready to take his own life. That's what church work will do for you. He was tired of the grumbling, and he begs God, Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, please kill me here and now, and do not let me see my wretchedness. Over and out and God says I'm going to take care of them don't worry about it east wind blows through and here come the quail and you remember when it was all said and done, Moses' statement it's the Lord's or God's statement is the Lord's arm too short I love that in other words am I not powerful enough to continue to provide so he sends in all this quail and it stacks up three feet high from the ground as far as a day's walk in any direction. That's a lot of poultry, brothers and sisters. That's a lot of fowl 
And as a result, the Bible says that you won't quail, you got it, and God gave it to them. The Bible says, literally, coming out their nostrils. Powerful God. And when God brought them into the land, ultimately, it wasn't just any land. It was a land flowing with what? Milk and honey. Abundance, abundance, abundance. You see it in the ministry of Jesus. I mean, think about, did Jesus do anything halfway? Never did anything halfway. Started his ministry fresh off of his baptism wilderness experience at a wedding in Cana, ran out of wedding wine. Jesus gets involved, changes the water in the wedding wine, six stone water pots filled up to the brim, 20 to 30 gallons each. That's a whole lot of wedding wine. And it bailed that couple out. And of course, the most prolific miracle Jesus ever did, feeding of the 5,000, 5,000 men plus women and children, sack lunch of a little boy, five barley loaves, cheap bread, two fish that most Hillcrest fishermen would have thrown back into the lake. And from five barley, cheap loaves of bread, meager, and two small fish, fish bait, through a powerful blessing of the Son of God, that meager sack lunch fed nearly 20,000 people on the hillside that day. That's the kind of God we serve. And, and the, the psalmist recognizes it. Full of splendor and majesty is his work. He has shown his people the power of his works. And I'm sure you could testify that in your own life. I could tell you story after story after story about how God has come through in miraculous kinds of ways in my life, the life of my marriage, my family. We could give testimony over the last 60 years about how God has provided, not in meager. I mean, just look at the worship center that we're worshiping in today. Facilities on 35 acres running from one end to the other. Facilities across town. God gave us that campus across town, nearly $5 million worth of property. We didn't have to pay a dime for it. All we had to do was sign a deed. And it was ours. This is the way God has provided this church. When we have needed finances, God has provided, as our president would say, God has provided bigly. Somebody say amen this morning. Not meagerly, but bigly. Finances, facilities, staff, miraculous kinds of ways. We have everything we've needed and then some. And that's not to say... We, we as the people haven't gone through dry seasons, won't go through dry seasons again. Every church, every people, every family, every person goes through dry seasons. And it's in those times in which you have to learn to depend on the Lord. Patience is not only a virtue. It may be the greatest of virtues when you're in a dry season in an arid, barren land at a particular time in your life. But even though you do, through it all, we can still be grateful and we can still be thankful because God cares for his people by the power of his works. God gives graciously, God gives powerfully, and then finally, God provides faithfully. He gives faithfully. Look at verse 7. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness 
and uprightness. Notice the words in that passage that are used to describe the works of God. Faithful, just, trustworthy. The word established there in the ESV in the New International Translation uses the word steadfast. So you got faithful, just, trustworthy, steadfast. Man, all of those point to a God who is someone that can be totally and overwhelmingly be trusted. I don't know if you've noticed or not, you probably only have a handful of, a handful of people in your life that you genuinely really trust. There's probably not a person in the room saying, oh, there, there are 40 or 50 people that I would trust with my life. You wouldn't say that. Maybe two or three or four or five. But there are not many. Man, you turn on the television, 24-hour cable news, and man, I'm telling you, just in recent weeks, one person, successful, one just dropping, falling because of failures in life, one right after another, just falling. Man, there's no such thing as a perfect person. We don't have them, and I'm not one of them. But it's a tragic thing for someone that you've known and trusted in life. You know how that hurts, don't you? When someone that you've known and trusted, somebody that you've depended upon, been there one minute, not there the next. Present one minute, absent the next. Seemingly trustworthy one minute, trust violated the next. And so in this time where there's a lot of talk about trust, we know that the government's not always trustworthy. Leaders aren't always trustworthy. Your company's not always trustworthy. Social Security, Medicare, stock market. Lots of places we tend to put our trust as people. But not all of them trustworthy. Used to be a day where you get hired by a company, you'd expect to spend the lion's share of your whole life there. My father passed away in May this year, worked for the same company his whole life. 41 years at the DuPont Company. Man, those days are, did you know that the average college graduate today is expected to change employers between 12 and 15 times before they're 40 years old? 12 to 15 times before 40, somewhere around 20 times throughout the better part of their life. So the days are gone when you can place your trust for your career in the same employer. But let me, let me just say this morning, even though you can't always trust the government, you can't always trust people, you can't always trust institution, would you not agree with me? God can always be trusted. Man, he's the only person you can 100% trust. Some trust in chariots, the Bible says, and some trust in horses. If we were writing that today, we would say some trust in the stock market, some trust in their bankers, some trust in their equity, some trust in their investments, some trust in their property, but you cannot trust those things because they're here one minute and gone the next. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. So what was true then is true today, whether it's horses or chariots or accounts, or institutions today. God alone is fully trustworthy. 
And he alone can be trusted to care for the basic needs of our life. What he does is faithful. But you know, who God is and what God does can be trusted for one reason, because what God says can be trusted. The only thing we know about God outside of what we can see in creation is what God has said already about himself in his word. And the psalmist here has a lot to say about his precepts. Verse 7, his precepts are trustworthy. The word precepts there is just a word for commandments or statutes. That's what God has said, what God has decreed. All that God has said is absolutely sure, which is just another way of saying God's word can be trusted. God can be trusted because his word can be trusted. And that's how we know that his activity, his provision, what God does in our lives is absolutely faithful because his word is faithful. God is a God who gives promises and God is a God who makes promises. How many of those promises have ever proven untrue? Not one. And none of them will ever prove untrue. I've said it a thousand times. I say it again today. When God says he is going to do something, God can be trusted to do it. And that can't be said, really, and completely by anybody else. But it can about God. I mean, when Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor in a heavy laden, and I will give you rest, can we trust Jesus to give us eternal rest? You bet. When God says in his word that I will supply all your need according to my incredible riches and wealth and glory, can we trust God to meet the needs of our lives? You bet we can. You may not have everything you want, but if you follow Jesus Christ, you'll have everything that you need in life. Can we trust God, the God who has saved us, to be the God who will protect and preserve us until we are standing face to face with Jesus Christ one day in the presence of the eternal kingdom? You bet your life we can. Because the Bible says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And as Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he who has said it is faithful and he will bring it to pass. And I believe that about God with all of my heart. He's a God who provides and gives faithfully. He's a God who gives powerfully. He's a God who gives graciously. And he is worthy of our trust. And let me just say, where you and I get ourselves in trouble is when we take our focus and our attention off of the one who is completely trustworthy and place it on things that are fleeting and do not last. One of the things that I disliked doing more than anything else as a young father was giving that daughter of mine a bath. I hated every minute of it. Because Whitney has a low tolerance for pain. The only thing I disliked worse than giving her a bath was pulling one of her teeth. I I would rather be drugged through cactus in my skivvies than to have pulled the teeth of my daughter. It was awful. It was an arduous affair because she fought against me uh, like no one else ever has. But giving a bath was close second because she has a very low pain tolerance. 
And I just knew every time I did it, Judy would say, honey, would you give Whitney a bath tonight? And it was one of those things where I'd always turn my back against Judy so I could disguise my voice as if to feign excitement while rolling my eyes at the same time. You know, you know how it is when you smile and you want it to sound, oh yeah, absolutely, honey. And my eyes are rolled to the back of my head where she can't see. Because I knew it was always a struggle. Particularly when it came to washing the hair. And so I would get to the point, save the washing of the hair for last. Because the reality was I knew that her eyes were going to burn. Always did. And I learned from that that the so-called Johnson's baby shampoo with no more tears is a lie straight from hell. Because <laughs> it burned and it produced tears. And so the trick I used on my daughter was to always get up above her and I would say, now honey, throw your head back and stay focused on dad. And then we would work it up and I would have that little soap line at the top of her forehead. And everything was good as long as she was looking at me, just looking up at dad, dad who was in control and dad who knew exactly what he was doing, and dad that was protecting the vitals of her life. Everything was fine as long as she was, but then inevitably it always happened. <laughs> and when that head would go down because there would be animals in the water or there would be a watering can there that was more interesting than father, I would always say, look up, look back up. Because if you look down, it's going to hurt. And she'd look back up for a minute, then inevitably the head would fall back down and other things would captivate her attention. And then it would always happen. The reality of the slow burn. And then the groaning and the moaning. And then the tears would come. And then I would sound like a crotchety old father. Well, if you'd done what I told you to do, <laughs> nothing would have happened. And that's what happens in life. Except our God's a whole lot bigger and better than that. He doesn't say, well, if you'd done what I told you to do. He's just there for us to come back to. And the moaning and the groaning and the tears typically come when we take our focus off the Father because we're captivated by other things in life. Those things will let you down and they won't always be there. And when it rains on the just or the unjust, what then? And that's why it's so important to remember that of all of the things that we're thankful for in life, we have a God who is constantly gracious, who works powerfully in the lives of those who love him and are committed to him by faith. A God who is faithful and trustworthy, who says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So keep looking up, and this and every Thanksgiving, 
How about every day? Let's learn to thank God for God. This is his word. And can you say amen this morning? Amen. Let's bow our heads together.